Hey listeners, Angel here. I wanted to add a few corrections and a content warning to the episode before we begin. First, I wanted to make the correction that Howl Moon Fur Fest will be in October 2022, not 2021. Next up, I wanted to say that the quality of this recording isn't the best, and there's a lot of static that comes through via our guest's line as he was recording this from his home, and coverage there was spotty. Finally, I wanted to give a content warning for around 3 minutes 55 seconds into the episode for mentions of murder and indigenous murdered and missing indigenous women. If you are not in the right space to hear this content, please skip ahead around to 33 minutes and 17 seconds. And now on to the episode. the Science Witch Podcast, where we explore how science and witchcraft intersect, interact, and affirm one another. I'm your host, Angel. Today, I am pleased to bring you an interview with Solomon, a proud furry and member of the Anishabi people living in Minnesota. Solomon approached me to speak about a topic that I feel is important to discuss and share his experiences as a Native person who is also involved in the fandom. In our conversation, we bring up the topic of cultural appropriation in both fandom and pagan spaces and how we can better honor and respect Black Indigenous people of color or BIPOC and their traditions within these communities. Those of you unfamiliar with the term furry, it is a fandom of people who enjoy anthro animals in artwork and costuming. So think Disney's Lion King or Robin Hood. For those of you who get an instant knee-jerk reaction to the term furry, I would like to invite you to check out a documentary that has recently come out directed by Ash Coyote, a trans woman filmmaker and member of the fandom herself. The documentary chronicles the history of the fandom and how it has always been a place for LGBT people to express their most authentic selves since it started back in the 1970s. The documentary shares some fairly interesting facts that even I, as a member of the furry fandom for almost 20 years, didn't know, including a gay couple started the fandom, a black person invented fursonas, which are your original characters that you present as within the fandom, and that 12% of the fandom is trans compared to 0.6% of the general population. Another thing I really love about this film is that it emphasizes the fact that furries are a completely fan-generated craft economy. The art and characters that people portray themselves as are often their original creations and not derived from any kind of copyrighted franchises. The documentary does bring up the issue of sex in the fandom, but doesn't dwell on some lurid, freaky fetish, but more so as a space for queer people to connect and fall in love. So before you make up your mind to completely disregard this episode because I mentioned furries, I invite you to check out this documentary. You can find the entire documentary uh, for free on YouTube, so please see our show notes if you would like to learn more about furry. 
Also, I wanted to give a shout out to a new fandom convention that has risen out of the most recent reckoning we are starting to see in furry spaces in terms of BIPOC representation. And I'm excited to see the first BIPOC run convention to take place in Maryland in fall 2021, Harvest Moon Howl Fest. This con was first initiated as a response to the fact that most cons in the fandom are run by white members as well as by men mostly men. This con aims to be inclusive, diverse, and provide more visibility to talented BIPOC artists, musicians, in the fandom. To learn more about this event and to support it, check out our show notes or the follow them on Twitter at Harvest Moon Howl Fest. Finally, I just want to say thanks to Iris for helping edit this episode. We hope to be back next episode that we are going to record together on resilience, witchcraft, fermented foods, and community resilience. So please stay tuned for that. If you like what you are hearing, please take a moment to rate and review us on the platform you are listening to us on. Also, if you have any questions, feedback, or ideas for future episodes, feel free to email us at questions at sciencewitchpodcast.com. Now with that, I am pleased to bring you my interview with Solomon. Today, I have a guest, Solomon, and Solomon and I are both members of the furry fandom, and I invited him on the show today to talk about a topic that is relevant to both the witchcraft and furry communities, and um, Solomon is a furry living in, a native furry living in Minnesota, and now I would like to let him introduce himself to our listeners. Hello, all my relations. I am Solomon Jack, and I am a Native American. Um, more specifically, I am a Malax band of Ojibwe who is in Minnesota. And I just want to go over some things that I've noticed in the furry fandom and just everywhere in general, you know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, I I can't speak for everyone, but I was raised on tradition and I've Mm -hmm. learned to respect tradition. And there are some who don't speak with me only because they don't understand the tradition. They don't know the tradition and they don't respect it. The tradition. Mm. Yes, yeah, so um, Solomon and I um, were introduced by one of our mutual friends in regards to um, an issue that has been prevalent in both the furry fandom as well as the witchcraft communities. And this, of course, is the issue of uh, cultural theft and cultural appropriation. And um, so Solomon, being from, you know, you as a, a native person, as well as a member of these fandom groups, you you are in sort of this um, you know, unique situation where, you know, yes, you are a furry and you're living, you know, a a modern life, but you still have this connection to this culture that uh, recently has become sort of um, 
there's been a lot of cultural theft and cultural appropriation going on in both of these communities. And there is a lot of discussion about, you know, what constitutes cultural appropriation versus appreciation. So maybe we can start with like, in your sort of opinion, what constitutes appropriation and what constitutes appreciation? Appreciation um, and appropriation, there's two different factors. Uh One is respect and no respect. If you respect what we say, you know, if you respect protocol, like you can't speak of this, you can't speak of that, you can't do this during the ceremony, you can't do that. If you follow tradition and protocol during a ceremony, you understand and you learn. Uh If you go into the ceremony and you have an open mind, an open heart, then you will be appreciating. Because long ago, there was a dark time in history where our traditions had to be hidden away. Uh They had to be both hidden away physically and spiritually and mentally. Uh My ancestors had to endure so much pain and suffering just so then I can experience what they experienced. And all my other relatives can experience. Versus appropriation, it's basically it's basically taking one thing and making your own adaptation, uh-huh. not respecting the tradition, the teaching, or the cultural meaning behind it. Uh-huh. To put it frankly, bastardizing an yeah. item or an idea. Say if you take something like love. For example, uh-huh. love is, everybody knows love, but it's don't make morphs it into something else, something uh-huh. different than love. Um, it, it's a different feeling now. It's basically that. It's like taking love and trying to turn it into something like hatred. You know, you can, it's complete opposite thing, but some, everybody identifies it as a feeling. So a good example of appropriation is about a year or so ago, a big furry artist around nine or 10K followers on Twitter posted this picture of a anthropomorphic character, female with a head, headdress and working. Uh-huh. Someone sent it to me and I stepped in and I said, yo, just you know, you know, we don't really appreciate this. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden other furries that were Native American or respect Native Americans started stepping in. Yo, I'm from this and we don't appreciate this. This is not how it is. And they basically made themselves look like the good guys and the victim while they turned their heads and sort of pointed daggers and declared what would be equivalent to war because some people, some Native furs were... um getting doxxed and uh-huh. getting threatened attacked by people online. Yeah. Thankfully, I was not one of them because uh-huh. I wasn't really noticed. So I'm kind of thankful for that aspect. But then again, I, I feel left out. But another good example is sweat logic. You know, this uh-huh. is outside uh-huh. of the fandom. This is just a general spiritualist. Uh-huh. You know, I remember hearing about this story long ago around... 2012, I think, uh-huh. or 
somewhere around 2009 to 2012, mm-hmm. a non-native person made a sweat lodge and made a spiritual journey for profit. If real medicine people, for the people who carry bundles and who perform ceremonies, first off, it's nobody's ceremony. You don't own a ceremony. You don't have a ceremony. You do it. Because in reality, um, indigenous people, we don't profit off of things and we don't claim things are ours, but there are things that are originated from. So this male was making money and he was not following protocol. He was not considering people's safety. You know, I, to be quite honest, I don't think he understood the results of his ceremony was several people's deaths Mm -hmm. and that's why it's very important to follow protocol and follow what the spirit would say because if you don't do a ceremony correctly it can get people sick or even worse die yeah in um the witchcraft community recently there's uh been a lot of discussion about white authors profiting off of uh, indigenous and African diaspora traditional religions. And um, it was an article by a pretty well-known pagan blogger um, that does the podcast Inciting a Riot. And he did a lot of really methodical research that basically showed these white authors that um, specifically with a lot of um, African diaspora traditions going in and appropriating this knowledge and then writing these books and profiting off it. And then when the actual, you know, um, you know, Black, Indigenous, people of color or BIPOC people were trying to publish books on the traditions that they were raised in. They were having a lot more barriers to being able to actually um, publish their books and get, um, you know, compensation for their knowledge. And you see this, you know, in in. in this has been going on for pretty much the entire um, the duration of the new age community. And one of the things that, uh, you know, in these fandom communities and in pagan communities that a lot of people don't realize is that this knowledge, this um, spiritual beliefs of indigenous peoples, it was basically kept at a great cost and great risk because it was illegal for native people in the United States to practice their religion until 1978. So when these white people, uh, white authors or white artists, they come in, they, you know, are appropriating these symbols. They're basically you know, stealing this cultural, um, you know, the, the cultural heritage of people who were only able to keep this at great cost and suffering. Yeah, the the people of the Aboriginals of America, the Indigenous population, 
during God knows when it actually started, but up until the 50s and up in Canada, 60s, because I remember I've met several people who've been to boarding schools and they've gotten their culture nearly stripped from them. Yeah. And they fought so hard to keep their traditions mm-hmm. and for people to use as profit, use it as a symbol of their personality mm-hmm. or personal gain mm-hmm. or even just to look good in the spotlight. Like that's not the way it goes. What it how it should truly go is to open up your mind and spirit to the to Gichi Manidu or the Great Spirit. You know, you mm-hmm. you open yourself and you absorb what you learn only for you to do the same for others. You help others open up and you help them learn. You know, it's all about passing on the tradition because mm-hmm. we don't mm-hmm. learn only to just travel on and all that knowledge is left like off mm-hmm. So indigenous people really emphasize if you go to ceremony, participate because in in sweat lodge um i've i've done a lot of the positions i can't i can't go into full detail Mm -hmm. what those are but i can tell you that each position is is as important as the conductor the conductor Mm -hmm. cannot do all positions everyone has to either through a song, a prayer, an offering of some sort, you know, and speaking about the in speaking about the Religious Freedom Act, you know, it's people don't realize how long it took native people to even be able to practice our tradition. Mm-hmm. That's one one reason why there's a lot of quote unquote darkroom ceremonies mm-hmm. is because one the government made us hide our religion away or mm-hmm. or ceremonies. And two, another reason is we're not meant to be, see the spirit because some, sometimes the spirit is neither animal or human. It's just the spirit. Even, even now today, we have a lot of restrictions, such as there was a yeah. chief sometime um, he was trying to go into the, uh, I think Congress, I believe, uh-huh. or or some uh-huh. sort of uh, government official building, and yeah. he was wearing his war bonnet, and they refused him entry uh-huh. because he was there to speak about something, and they refused him, and it is his right to walk in there wearing his traditional regalia and wearing yes. a war bonnet is a sign of protocol in order for a chief in order for someone of higher power to go attend a meeting they must wear their war bonnet or war or or feathers and when they told them to take it off you know that instantly brings me back to when people just wear headdresses just for fun you know i see a lot of halloween costumes see a lot of people just going on 
the internet and posting pictures, videos of them wearing these war bonnets. And I'm still, I'm still trying to wrap my head around why are these people who aren't native wearing that when our chiefs can't walk into places of government and be refused to entry to enter because they are wearing it. Yeah. All, all the people who pose with those items, you know, that's appropriation because they're not showing the proper respect. Right. Each feather has to be earned on a war bonnet. Right. There's over 40, no, there's over 20 feathers on a war bonnet average. Mm-hmm. There can be more, there can be less. It depends on what kind of bonnet you're talking about. You know, what what people mainly think of is the Plains Indian, quote unquote, of mm-hmm. uh, war bonnet or headdress. You know, my people, we have a headdress that sort of looks more like a crown that like points up. Mm-hmm. That's the Ojibwe style or the Anishinaabe. Yeah. And I think you know, with with um, this sort of appropriation, what what makes it so insidious is that the, when when people take on this 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 caricature of uh, quote unquote the Indian, they dehumanize you know the people who are actually native living these experiences and the um the societal and and systematic issues facing native people in the United States and throughout the world really but especially here in the United States compared to other population groups it the, the disparity is is startling and um you know, people often say, oh, well, the natives, you know, they have bigger issues than if some white chick wears a headdress to Coachella. But, you know, one of the things I always say is like, no, they're all connected. Our perception shapes how we treat people. So if we only see, you know, the you know, these symbols appropriated by people who are, you know, just doing it to have a fun time. You don't see the humanity and the actual significance that it has to these um, groups that this was stolen from. Yeah. Um, when people take, you know, it's fine if people are using symbols or using items or using anything like that sort that's fine but there are certain items certain ideas that are part of something called closed culture Uh closed culture is kind of hard to explain it's basically i'm trying to find a quick so like during a powwow you know you there's certain things you can like sort of use Mm-hmm. On your own, you know, dance in the dance in the circle. You know, everybody dances in a circle, but how they do it is partially closed. Mm-hmm. But of course, there are other places that do it, and there's also definitely closed culture for our ceremonies yeah. because those ceremonies are extremely powerful and can make you sick. As I said about the sweat. 
Lodge incident. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also post culture about such as the sacred pipe, you know, people always talk about the peace pipes, always say that they have one. First off, if they say they have one, they don't. Mm-hmm. Because us pipe carriers, including me, we don't we don't have pipes. We don't own pipes. Pipes aren't even an item. It is it has a spirit. That's why when we say in um Ojibwe, we call it the Opwagan, and it has a life force. It has a spirit. So we call it they and them, not, you know, not just call it it, but we carry the pipe. We don't own it. We carry it. You know, that's a part of protocol. And um, speaking more on the closed culture, uh, I, I always, um, I always notice people using certain beings, certain creatures uh-huh. from our cultures people already know what i'm talking about i can't speak them i can't i can't say what they are but they're in so many different scary stories so many different movies so many different shows they're depicted many different things uh-huh. but in to say it clearly you don't it's not just a representation of the physical being but also the mental comprehension of said being one has been a human one is a being that has been here for many many years many even thousands of years Uh you know there's they are similar yes people associate them as characters they make characters characters out of them Uh and i have to immediately step in because even Saying its name can cause sickness, can cause many different things. Of course, there are people that say they are just quote unquote cryptids that are just legends and myths. But no, these are stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. Not to just scare children, but true stories, true tales about people eating people. Uh-huh. If if someone eat someone, then something is going to happen. They will slowly start losing their mind and succumb to this being. There is a psychosis that is named after it. Uh-huh. That's that's a physical proof of existence of something that is taking over someone's mind. So uh, in, an example of this, I when I'm I'm on the social media app called TikTok and I saw someone type the name they had a skull creature. I stepped in and I said, hey, I'm an Algonquin person and you shouldn't be typing this name. You shouldn't be saying it because of this, this, and this. They, they said, oh, I'm going to make this private. Uh-huh. And basically ignored me because I'm trying to say, hey, you know, this can cause bad things. Just let you know. Uh-huh. And they just turn the other cheek in and just ignore me. Yeah. and. The other thing is that I know that this um, particular mythology has been stolen for uh, video games and other sorts of media. But there was never a point where there was a like like 
the, these creators went and actually asked the indigenous people, you know, your, your people, Hey, is it okay if we include this mythology? Like there wasn't any sort of actual attempt to see if this was okay, because, you know, obviously from, you know, what you have said and other people from the Anishabi have said that this is something that is considered to be uh, very um, taboo and it's not something to speak about and or just be cavalier about. And um, it's a closed tradition. And yet, because these people feel that they can just take whatever they want without actually investing in where this knowledge comes from. You see this sort of entitlement to this knowledge that's like, oh, well, my favorite video game has these beings, so therefore it's okay. And it's just like, no, that the, the people who actually you know, the, the original mythology comes from are telling you it's not okay. And um, so, you know, I, I have great respect for you for speaking out against this, because I think as, um, you know, in, in these uh, different spaces, which, you know, before it's starting to shift now, but like fandom spaces and the pagan community was largely uh, white dominated. And so with um, a lot of, especially Americans, you see this like fetishization of other cultures that would have then been actually oppressed by these systems of white supremacy in the United States. And so it's like, oh, well, we can take your, you know, cultural um, indigenous beliefs, but we can continue to oppress you at, by doing that. It, it's it's just another form of oppression. Yeah, because all almost all the people that use these beings that use anything that is from indigenous or even anyone else's culture aren't from that culture themselves. Sure, they can say that they are, but they don't understand the significance behind something. Like, I I've, I saw something a few days ago, something called the uh, Japanese tea ceremony. Uh-huh. And it was quite interesting to me. And am I going to do it? No, because I don't know enough about it. I don't know what it means. But I do know it is a part of a culture that is still living today uh-huh. and people are still practicing it you know uh-huh. just as much as you know there's pipe ceremonies going on you know people are still doing it they understand it and i don't think i've seen anybody wrongfully perform a pipe ceremony or any sort of ceremony besides the sweat lodge that i saw but yeah i do believe that if someone that is not indigenous that is not from another culture what they say is representing it is suppressing the cultural voices because if someone says you're not supposed to do that you're doing it wrong and they say oh well i don't care or anything along the lines or just say or if they claim that you're bullying them that's oppression that is them making us look bad and trying to point the finger you know you know the 
history is written by the victors. Mm -hmm. So for those people that have experienced trauma through the Indian Wars, people Mm -hmm. have been claiming that the Indian were savage and ruthless. In the Constitution, it says the merciless Indian savage. In the Constitution of the United States, that is in our written law the ultimate law of the land you know it's it's written by the victors you know we lost art but we still are living mm-hmm. and i'm grateful mm-hmm. that we are still living you know our cultural is our culture is still living but am i going to be silent no because mm-hmm. i'm still fighting for our voices for our people to rise up as one and stand with each other because there, yes, there are bigger issues than just cultural appropriation, such as missing, murdered Indigenous women. Yes, that is a yes. big issue here mm-hmm. and in Canada. Canada is, I believe, is way worse. But I am personally affected by mur- missing, murdered Indian Indigenous women because my sister, she was killed by a hit and run. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, and and her murderer is only getting five years and he's getting out this year. Mm. Yeah, it's it's painful and it does truly suck, but it is fact about oppression is we're still oppressed. You know, people say we are the land of the free and home of the brave. Where's the brave to stand against this oppression? Right. They're taking on the streets right now, but the media is controlled by the government and they are making it look like protesters are they're sending people to vandalize to make the protesters look bad and that's my view of oppression and the cultural significance and lining of the oppression against the culture right because you know it is all connected in terms mm-hmm. of like if you exploit a culture in one way you're going to exploit it in other ways and you're not going to recognize or the the greater society is not going to recognize these people as human and you see that um echoed you know right now through in 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 a lot of different ways and luckily i think we're starting to see finally a turning point where there has been more visibility to native rights movements in terms of there's been a growing movement to turn to tear down these statues of Christopher Columbus and replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day and racist mascots of major league sports teams are finally being forced to change their names. And, you know, these are, you know, victories that the native rights movement has been fighting for for so long. So as a native person, how do you feel about this current movement uh, in the civil rights and with both the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, the native rights movement? Well, I'm extremely glad to live in this time of period because back in the 60s, 70s and 80s, life was basically hell for the indigenous activists. You know, you got people hunting you that are from the government and even in local Indian government because um, for an example of that is 
during the 1973 Wounded Knee Incident, mm-hmm. you had mm-hmm. uh, the o- the Guardians of the Oglala Nation, or the Goons, were hunting AIM members. Mm-hmm. And they are Lakota versus AIM. Of course, they don't stand for all Lakota people. They, they're only interested in money. They were only interested in corruption within their own government. But nowadays, you know, people are standing against the oppression. They are standing against the bastardization and the fetishization of Indian people, of indigenous people, you know. Mm-hmm. When uh, someone uh, asked me how I feel about the term redskins, and I simply told them, what do you think it means? They said redskin. And I said, nope, it's actually, there's two different terms, what I've been told. There's the one of people who have red the reddish skin or there's the bloody red scalps hanging in front of the shop, mm-hmm. you know, drying out. And they looked at me and they're like, how do you know that? And I said, well, I got to know what I'm fighting for. And they asked me, what am I fighting for? And I said, fighting for change because I'm getting really sick of seeing me and all my relatives being represented like the mascot you were talking about, but more of like a clown for people a fool for people to make jokes at, but most of all, the fantasization of the quote-unquote noble Indian. Because in reality, we were like everyone else. You know, we fought and died for what we believed in. There was nothing noble. There was nothing to be romanticized. It was a basic human thing. You know, we are all humans. You know, we, the Cheyenne people, for example, in their language, when they say Cheyenne, it means human being. I, mm-hmm. I don't remember where I learned that, but I do remember someone telling me that. But nowadays, I'm seeing a lot of change. You know, the Cleveland Indians, I believe they that's what they were. You know, they got rid of their Chief Wahoo or, mm-hmm. or one of those. Yeah, Chief know, Wahoo. Is... That, you know, his smiling face, you know, it kind of reminds me of Blackface. It's the exact equivalent. It's yeah. people dress up in war, war bonnets, feathers, putting on red face, and they're going out and no one's stopping. But what if someone dresses up in red face? You know, they have their feathers in their hair. You know, they have a wig on. Nothing's going to happen because it, we're still in the generation that does not understand the harm in that. Yes, there are people that are standing against, but there is still the majority who either do not care or do not accept of its racial sensitivity. But I'm grateful of seeing all these statues and all this change coming along. Like it's mad, but like it it blesses me and it takes a weight off of my head Mm. and shoulders knowing that the future generations won't have to see what these older generations had to see. Right. And so you, um, we introduced uh, ourselves as both members of the furry fandom. And um, I've been in the fandom for, oh goodness, I think since 2002, so quite some time. And in the time I, I, I first started going to conventions to now, I've seen the fandom grow and become a lot more queer, a lot younger, and a lot more diverse. And, you know, before it used to mostly just be white 
people, nerdy white people, both heterosexual mm-hmm. and gay getting together at these cons. And now it's it's much more diverse. And so um, my question is uh, basically what sort of things um, you would like to see in terms of the way that the fandom is interacting with, um, you know, native people who are coming into the fandom? Well, I'll start off with how I experience the fandom as being an indigenous person. It's basically going into an entire crowd and saying, I need some space. They all turn to you. Every single one of them turn to you. Of course, one or two step back, but there are still some that are too close to you and they just ignore you. Then they go back to what they were doing. Uh There is always Uh very few who respect what we say. And if I I say something like, hey, um, don't wear this, don't do that, don't say this, don't say that, don't make a character out of this, don't Uh do this in general. We'll understand some people will apologize, but there are always those who will do it out of spite. They will make a character, they will do something, just get a reaction. It's it's not just a furry thing. It's not just a white thing. It is an internet thing. You know, people think they can get away with doing whatever they want over the internet. You know, if there's always this space in between the person and the other person, it's not just distance but also just simply a screen, you know, we can communicate so well just from the tap of button and then another button to send. That's all we need to do, or even simply a call. But how I would like to see this, this fandom is definitely very diverse. Even back in 2014, you know, when I first started, you know, I did see a majority of popularity were white, cis, male or female, either gay or straight. It, it, it's definitely not as welcoming as today. I mean, yeah, it's definitely more welcoming now than it was before because, like, you see so many different groups. You see so many different people. You know, it's like a lunchroom. Like, you see so many different seats, so many different tables. You just got to pick the right one that you want to be part of. And if you're feeling comfortable enough, you can get up from one seat and then go to another. And once when you're done with that one, you know, you can invite other people to your own lunch table, you know, make your own little group. That's sort of like what us indigenous folks have done. Mm-hmm. We sort of made our own little spaces, you know, we made our own little connections with each other, like on Twitter, you know. I remember my friend Tanya, she messaged me way back, like 2018. She was telling me about how she, she asked if I was Native, and I immediately said, why are you asking? Mm-hmm. Because no one ever asked me if I was Native. You know, people always assumed I'm Mexican. Mm-hmm. And in reality, there's no real difference. It, there's not even a border that's, that's separating us. It's literally just culture, basically, you know. But what I really want to see, most of all, is the people to respect and learn. Because if people don't respect and learn from each other, then no one's going to get along. You know, mm-hmm. if someone says you're stepping on my, sh- if you're stepping on my toes, one person is going to say, oh, "My bad." They step away. Well, there's always that one person that will do it one last time to see what happens. You know, I know a lot of people have that 
feeling. You know, they want to step on someone's toes one last time to see what happens. How, I, I want to see how this person reacts. I want to see what they'll do. And once when that person does that, you know, they're, they're going to get the horns, you know. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that people should hold back, you know. That's another thing about the oppression is a lot of times people hold back, you know, they want to speak out when the most important time to speak out is now because mm-hmm. we're becoming something much more than what we were in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, this is 2020. This is a start of a new decade. You know, we got to keep on going forward. Because I really want to see what happens in 2030. Probably by then, all of us will be staying along. You know, all of us will hopefully be living like how we should. You know, furries are going to be furries. Is going to be no more. It's going to be people doing what people do. You know, it's being a friendly neighbor, saying hi, neighbor, bye, neighbor, inviting people over for barbecues and stuff. You know, that's just an example. You know, people can always be friendly just as much as people can be buttheads you know i remember having this really bad neighbor and i also remember this having this very good neighbor it's always a 50 50 chance because you never know if someone's a nice person or not so nice person i never consider anyone evil or bad you know it's either a nice person or not so nice person it's all about how they're raised so if we get rid of the thought of racism you know it's not passed down it's learned you know people learn racism if someone points at that person if someone points at one person that is colored differently and say that's a bad person they definitely got that from somewhere else so if we end racism by kindness by killing it with kindness you know it could possibly go away eventually definitely not in this decade you know it's going to take time but the more rude people are going to be, you know, the less welcome they're going to be. You know, there's going to be times where people are going to lash out at other people for being this, for being that. But in reality, um, they shouldn't really judge anyone. You know, you don't judge people by skin color. You don't judge people by anything like that. You judge them by their characteristics and personality. Because once when someone shows you their true colors, you know, then you can say, that's not a good person. One of the sort of analogous um, situations to uh, what is, you know, you've experienced in the fandom is uh, here in the, you know, pagan and witchcraft communities has been um, the cultural theft and uh, spiritual bypassing, bypassing of uh, smudging ceremonies. And this, of course, uses sacred white sage, which comes from the Southwest, and it's practiced by several um, different tribes throughout the Southwest and um, the Great Plains region. And um, what had happened is, uh, especially in the 80s, uh, a lot of white people came and they they saw these smudging ceremonies and they decided to appropriate this. And so there became this entire New Age market where people were going out into, you know, the lands, tribal lands, and taking all of this plant to sell it for a profit. 
And even the harvesting of sacred sage is considered to be, you know, a very specific ceremony. And when these people, they would go out and they would just um, gather with or, you know, take the, the sacred sage without using these these proper respect that the plant is due just to sell it in capitalism, essentially, you know, it's basically caused there to be um, a several of populations of white sage in the United States are now endangered. And that's because people weren't giving it its proper respect. And not only that, they were going into these places and illegally harvesting this, this sacred plant so that the plant was then not available as the sacred medicine for the people for whom these ceremonies originally came from. And so, you know, when you, when you say like closed ceremony, well, smudging is a closed ceremony. And there's starting to be a shift in a lot of these spiritual new age communities that acknowledges this as a closed ceremony. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of nuance, of course, and the discourse is, you know, every person you speak to is going to have a different opinion, but, um, there's sort of a, a shift to, well, if you want to use white sage, it's important that you get it from native people. Just like if you want to um, wear native jewelry, buy it from a native person. If you want native art, buy it from a native person, like actually allow these people, you know, native people, black people to actually, you know, get recognition as well as compensation for them sharing their cultural knowledge the their uh, medicine with with the the larger general population yeah so for the gathering of the white sage in or there there's several types of sage but the one that i usually gather is just the sage that usually grows around minnesota or mm-hmm. even in the dakota areas but usually when you go gather any sort of sacred plant such as sage, cedar, what we call kinnikinnik is the red willow inner bark. You know, that's what we, us Ojibwe people traditionally use as tobacco because the tobacco now, you know, everybody knows what tobacco is, you know, it causes cancer, you know, it does a lot of bad things, but the kinnikinnik is just wood, just the inner bark. And um, so when you go gather medicines, you know, you got to offer you know, you've got to give the proper offering. You know, we mainly use the commercialized tobacco out. We have bags, we have tins, we have pouches of tobacco, you know, but it is still the same as what that traditional connect was. So you offer that tobacco, you give thanks to the plant, and then you gather it. When you gather white sage or any other sort of sage, you know, you don't pull it by its roots. That's how you kill off that little area. You've got to snap it right above the roots and you do not gather all that is around. You know, you gather a few here, a few there. That's enough. Then you can drive on and gather some more later on. But I, I walk into many different stores and I see these new age healing stations where they sell white sage, you know, sometimes 
mixed in with rock and I'm just standing there and I'm like, where in the heck did they get this idea from? You know, of course there are different adaptations to smudging, but it all stems from the indigenous people's ways, you know, it's cleansing, you know, you don't just use sage sometimes, you know, you, you, you can use sweetgrass, you can use tobacco. Um, a lot of times I use, uh, uh, sage and, uh, cedar, you know, it's good medicines, you know, that's our four most powerful medicines is tobacco, sage, sweetgrass, and cedar. That's our most powerful medicine. One of my mentors, they, they were joking with me one time. They did tell, they told me that if you mix those four together, you're basically the Rambo of the spirit realm. But I see a lot of these people, you know, spiritualists, sometimes witches, you know, but there are some appropriating culture. There are spiritualists appropriating culture. There are people that, you know, they're, I always see this person in the stage, you know, to cleanse a house of evil spirits. You know, it's, rarely a native person mostly a non-native person they're walking in they're smudging and then they leave but the smudging ceremony is much more important than just a cleansing it is basically one of the starting ceremonies of any sort of ceremony you know you gotta you gotta cleanse your items you gotta cleanse everything everybody you know you gotta cleanse everything otherwise you know you might have some bad medicine and you can get sick by that. Now, smoke cleansing is something that's much more universal. And a lot of people think the only thing that you can smoke cleanse with is sage. And actually, there are herbs that have been used traditionally in European, um, you know, indigenous cultures from like mm -hmm. ancient Celtic people, Norse, where they would smoke cleanse with other herbs such as uh, mugwort. Mugwort is an herb that is um, used throughout Europe and Asia to do smoke cleansing. And lavender and rosemary are also very good to use for smoke cleansing. So, you know, when it, when it comes to just like burning herbs, this is something that you see universally, but the specific smudging ceremony utilizing the sacred white sage is something that is very specific to those cultures and it, it should be respected because, you know, as, as we become more connected, as uh, you know, a global society and more people that were before marginalized and basically kept away from this bigger discourse that's happening are being able to finally have access to it. We need to be really mindful in how we treat each other. Like you said, you know, like especially like those of us who are white, like myself, I always try to be. Uh, mindful of what an indigenous or, um, you know, a person of color is telling me in terms of like what practices are open and what practices are closed. And so, you know, like when you were as a native person speaking about this issue, I, you know, I, I want to know, I want to know what, 
your beliefs and opinions are. And if you say that, yes, this is something that's painful, I feel that as, you know, a society that wants to achieve this idea of racial equality, we have to be, we have to listen and we can't just completely speak over you just because we we wanted to you know have this war bonnet that we wore to a festival like we need to listen yeah um i i do notice like not you not just indigenous people but many people of color are being marginalized when they're trying to speak up, up about something like appropriation of one thing or the representation of an entire nation from another, you know, perspectives, you know, like Disney, for example, they really, mm-hmm. back in the old days, they really did not make anyone look good. You know, the only people mm-hmm. they made look good is basically the white people. You know, everybody else they made look like goofballs. You know, back then it was funny for everybody else, but you as that person, you know, of that nation, of that people, you know, you're just, you're just awestruck about how you're represented. And if we're represented one way, then it should be the right way. You know, it should not be a way that is what makes it look cool, what makes it look funny, what makes it look weird. No, it should be the right way or no way. You know, if you, mm-hmm. if you want to represent us, you know, do it the right way. If you don't want to represent us, then let us represent ourselves. Right. You know, the only way for our voices is to be heard is by us. It can't be spoken by someone else who hasn't experienced what we've experienced. You know, for example, people who have lived on the reservation are more likely to be in touch with their culture. Mm-hmm. Is that a bad thing? No. Is it a bad thing that there are some people who don't live on the reservation? No, it's not bad. It's an extra step for people to get into culture. You know, there's never, there's never a time gap, a a time limit. You know, you can go learn your culture whenever, however you want. You know, if no matter how difficult it is, you can still get it. Also, another thing about like appreciation, I want to get back again. You know, it's a little far ahead, but everyone has what we call an Indian name. You know, my Indian name is. Everybody has that name, a spiritual name. I, I've been told, you know, if other people have different opinions saying, oh, only indigenous people have that. Sure, but this medicine person that I highly respect and also highly appreciate, um, they told me this, you know, people will always have different opinions, but what should truly matter is what a spirit or what someone who has spiritual knowledge says, because they are, they are what holds us together. You know, our entire cultural existence is around, you know, it's land-based. It's not like Christianity that is just mm-hmm. based in everybody's hearts. It's land-based. It's specifically based in a land area. Right. That's why when we right. lost our land, why we lost a lot of our culture, because that's where a lot of our stuff happened. Yeah, I, I can't speak for everyone, but I'm speaking as a person of traditional value. I hold tradition close to my heart because that's how we're going to continue as a people is follow tradition, follow protocol, 
and we will get through another century. Hopefully, this one is going to be better than the last. Yeah. Um, so we're getting close to time, but um, Solomon, do you have any like closing thoughts or things you would like to say to our listeners? I, I do want to say if you do use white sage, you know, I do say to have good thoughts when you're smudging, you know, it's always good to release energy in a positive way because the sage is a, is a smud, the smudging ceremony is to cleanse. It's to project bad feelings and thoughts out of you. Um, if you use any characters that are based off of evil and cannibalism, I do recommend you to stop because that will bring some bad things in your life. If you believe it or not, because there have been things, there have been times where people have done certain things and it's resulted in sickness. If you continuously disrespect indigenous or anyone else's culture, you know, karma is going to catch up and it's not going to be nice. Indigenous people are still here. We aren't some fantasy in Peter Pan or in some hot Indian summer novel. You know, we are still here. We are a people that are still thriving, that are still living, that are still very much alive since like how we were back in the 18th century, 19th century. You know, we are still holding our traditions. We are still performing our ceremonies and we are still being the funny people we are. (laughs) We are, we love to laugh. Laughing is a very good medicine. So after watching this, listening to this, you know, I definitely do recommend laughing at something because if you laugh at something, you know, it's going to get your emotions high. You know, you're going to feel good after you have a good laugh, you know. Um, And for me personally, um, just sort of my personal closing thought is if you see someone disrespecting someone's culture, if you have enough knowledge to step in, step in because the people that are marginalized won't have a big enough voice to speak above the ruling power because the ruling power is obviously ruling over the marginalized people because I've been marginalized so many times in my life. You know, people have told me things, said things to my face, and I sometimes have to just step down and keep my head low. It takes more than just one voice. It takes basically an entire army to stand up and say, this is not okay. So if you ever have the chance or have the knowledge, and if you ever come in experience of that type of situation, I recommend any of you to step in and help your fellow human beings, not an indigenous person, not a person of color, but your fellow human being. Because in reality, we are all related. We are all relations. That's why us Anishinaabe people say, which means all my relations, not just relations in indigenous people, but in all of humanity. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for this really great conversation. And I, um, I, I really appreciate you coming onto the show today to speak about this. So um, if our listeners wanted to follow you, where could they find you? On Instagram, I am Solomon Jack. Solomon as in S-O-L-O-M-O-N. Jack, J-A-C-K, 55. Twitter, I am Wolf of Shadow 2. You can fo- follow me on those two platforms. If you do have any questions, you can direct message me on either of those two platforms. 
and I can definitely answer some questions, either personal, general, or just some advice about anything you really need, because I've been through a lot, and I'm definitely open to help my fellow human beings of anything they need. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Solomon, and um, be well, blessed be. Thank you, Solomon, for speaking with me about this difficult and at times nuanced topic. We hope that you found it interesting and thought-provoking in terms of what is considered respectful versus appropriation, at least from Solomon's point of view. Right now, it's important to magnify Native voices and listen to Native people when they speak. I'm reminded of an episode of one of my favorite podcasts, That Which Life, which was an interview with uh, Che Wong Ko, where she speaks on the topic of appropriation. I really appreciated what she had to say in terms of um, that we need to listen to the people whose cultures we are trying to incorporate into um, our witchcraft practices, for they are the living embodiment and spirits of the practices we seeking to honor and the spirits we are seeking to honor. Their blood is the blood of the ancestors. And for those of us who do not share that ancestry, it is important that we not take up space from these people and listen to them when they speak out against taking what is not ours to take. You can still support Native artists and community by making sure any items you purchase that claim to be Native made are actually made by Native people and not enabling the mass consumer culture surrounding metaphysical appropriation and spiritual bypassing. This, of course, is never a straightforward topic, as there are bound to be different opinions from different people who identify as Native, and it will be always necessary to use discernment and compassion. As the fandom and witchcraft spaces become more diverse, we will continue to have these important conversations. But we need to listen and not be just reactive and defensive about being told something that you are using in your witchcraft practice may be appropriation. Thank you to all our listeners out there who tuned in for this episode. Join us next time where Iris and I will be back and discussing some important topics and timely, relevant, location-based resistance witchcraft, fermented foods, and building resilient communities in the time of this pandemic. Live long and prosper and blessed be.